Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline. I write the How to Decorate blog. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Karen. I head up Ballard's branding team. We're We're your hosts. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for the tips, tricks, and tales of interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of the show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at BallardDesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. And now, on with the show. So our guest today is a New York-based designer, creative director, author, and award-winning magazine editor. He also has four books. He is currently the editor-at-large at at New England Home Magazine, and he was the editor-in-chief of Veranda for many years. He also wrote four books while at Veranda, Veranda Escapes, Veranda Entertaining, Veranda Inspired by Color, Veranda The Romance of Flowers. And I, I recently saw on your Instagram that you just wrote, uh, Christopher Spitzmiller's book, A Year at Clovebrook Farm. So I'm excited to talk with you about that. Thank you so much for joining us. You didn't say it. Well, thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I always do this. Drum roll. (laughs) Clinton Smith is here with us today. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) Thanks for having me. You know, I did that on purpose to add a little bit of color Mm -hmm. to your introduction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was intentional. Yeah, exactly. So I just thought we could start with where you got your sense of style from. Clearly, you're a style editor. You are a, an expert on um, design. So where did, the, where did it all come from? Well, I grew up in East Texas, about two hours east of Dallas in a small town. And growing up, we went to flea markets most weekends, antique shops, junk shops, you know, all of the above. Country auctions, which I always loved. Um, I remember buying one of my first pieces when I was, I think, a sophomore, junior in high school, which was this great table that I actually just got rid of. It, so it, it served me well, my $150 um, table. Um, and like many people in the design world, I was one of those who was always rearranging furniture and repainting my room and redecorating, styling, whatever, any trouble I could get into, I was, I was, I was going to do it. Um, and how did you parlay that into, you know, becoming editor in chief of Veranda magazine? Yeah. Like an arbiter of style. Well, well thank you. Um, <laughs> it was interesting because when I was in college, I knew I wanted to be in the industry in some way. But I wasn't sure if I wanted to be an interior designer. At one point, I thought I'd be a landscape architect, but I couldn't handle the calculus. <laughs> and then architecture, um, it, it just didn't seem like it was a fit. So I went to school at the University of Mississippi, and which has had and still has an amazing magazine program. And my mentor um, is a gentleman named Samir Husney, Dr. Samir Husney, who I still stay in touch with. And it was just a crash course in everything about magazines. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to marry my love of design with magazines and go into um, shelter publications. And the day after I graduated, two days later, the day day after I moved to Atlanta, and two days later, I started a job at um, a regional magazine there. It was not a home magazine. 
But about a, less than a year later, I was able to get a job as editorial assistant at Atlanta Homes and Lifestyles. And over the course of the last almost 20 years, I have worked there four different times. Wow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so the moral there is do, do, is do not burn a That's bridge. That's right. Mm. We call that a boomerang at yeah. Ballard because we have quite a few people that have worked at Ballard twice, you know, come back. And we even thought about putting like a little badge on their on their door, like a little boomerang. <laughs> oh, asterisk yep. next to their um, start date. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm definitely a boomerang employee. <laughs> Well, I always in my mind envision editors to start as writers. And you, you also must be a very, very strong writer since you also have five books under your belt. Four of my own. And then I've also ghostwritten three, or I've either been a ghostwriter or have collaborated on three others. And then I'm working on one more of my own, which comes out spring 22. Uh, I, am I a good writer? I think at this point, I shouldn't say it comes naturally because I certainly, um, struggle with certain words at certain times, but it's one of those things as with anything in life, I guess, you know, I can work on a book and I can knock out five chapters in X amount of time. It can also spend X hours on two sentences. So, you know, with any project like that, there are always these hills and valleys. And when you get down in the trenches and you just have to keep your eye focused on the end, um, I I followed Danielle Steele, the author on Instagram, who's written close to 100 books. And she has this saying, and I'm probably misquoting, but there are no miracles, only determination. And so that's when I when I start one of these writing projects, that's, um, that's what I try to keep in the back of my mind. So I'm not overwhelmed by it. So how did your, your first book while you were at Veranda, how did that come about? And I imagine your first book was probably pretty scary. Now you're an old pro. <laughs> well, it was it was interesting because I had been there, I guess, maybe a year at that point. And Jackie Duvall, who is the publisher of Hearst Books, which is actually a completely different division within the company. It's different from the magazine group. Um, at that point, Veranda had published, I think, two books. Um, the beautiful first book that Lisa Newsom wrote. And then the second one um, on outdoor living, which was gorgeous. And Jackie came to me and said, well, what are some of the other pillars, you know, at Veranda that the magazine is known for that we could explore? Um, And over the course of 25 years, the magazine had been known for producing these beautiful floral design stories and garden design stories. And I think it was really one of the first to celebrate that idea of indoor, outdoor living that we all talk about now. And I said, let's go into the archive and see what we have. And we had so much content and we also shot new things for it. And so that's how the flower book came about. And I have a personal passion for it. So it was, um, it was a win-win. Mm-hmm. So can I ask about just sort of being a magazine editor in general? Is it your job to identify trends or are you just trying to show us pretty things? Are you trying to inspire us? What are you trying to do with each issue? Well, in terms of, I always feel like a good editor should be able to edit any sort of magazine, right? You Once you know your audience, what does the audience want? Specifically to shelter magazines, yes, I think it's great to celebrate pretty, timeless interiors, 
But on the other hand, you want to see what's new, what's notable, who are the rising stars, what are the innovative products that are coming out. Um, and so it's always about that balance of how do you celebrate something? How do you put all of that together that within a couple of years, you still, when you, if you were to pick up the magazine, you don't have anything that feels dated. And so I think it's just getting that balance of beautiful homes that'll stand the time, whether that's classic or ultra contemporary. And then of course, in the front of the magazine, you have the new and the notable and really just curating is an you know, overused word, but it really is about just distilling it down. To like what's the best of the very best or what will hopefully stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. And I'm an avid reader of magazines and collect home magazines. I'm always on eBay buying magazines, not even quote old ones, but from like the eighties and really? even nineties now. And you, and you look at some of them and some of them really hold up. And then others, you know, I was looking at one the other day and they had a technology column every oh, issue. Gosh. And now it's like the new fax machine, the new, <laughs> the new whatever. And you're just sort of like, well, that did not quite hold them. But that's hysterical. <laughs> yeah. So what is your favorite, what are your favorite titles right now? Which, what, which issues are you just dying to, to crack open as soon as you get them in the mail? Oh, well, I actually bought, um, gosh, maybe like five years worth of um, Garden Design Magazine from when it first came out, which was spectacularly produced. And about six months ago in the middle of <laughs> the pandemic, um, not being able to get to a newsstand and, you know, wanting to see something, um, I ordered like maybe a decade's worth of like the first 10 years of Martha Stewart living. And, you know, those those layouts were so beautiful and the photography is beautiful. Um, so that was that was a great um Do you great remember investment. her catalog? That used to be collection worthy. I thought her catalog just blew me away. It was so beautifully done. It was so beautiful. And the funny thing is I went to I wanted to buy one on eBay and the catalog is like it was so expensive. Really? I was like, I can't pay that for the catalog. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like buying a um a Sotheby's or an old Sotheby's or Christie's wow. auction catalog. I was like, my gosh. So they're definitely, even the catalogs are um, collector's that, items Those catalogs now. made me want to like take up embroidery just so I could buy the needlepoint kit. You know, there were all the things in there. I wanted them all. <laughs> well, every, I mean, I remember the, and I don't even bake cookies, but like the, she had these copper cookie cutters that were just like amazing and the drabware china, which was so yep. gorgeous. I didn't even know. It just never occurred to me to buy old magazines, but that's such a great idea because there's so many titles that I mourn, you know, the that they closed. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, someone recently actually sent me a screenshot of Ballard Designs catalog selling on eBay. eBay. Well, the only, I think it's so weird. The only challenge in trying to put together a magazine collection of the older issues is I have duplicates of certain copies because you either have Mm -hmm. to buy, a whole set of something with a duplicate or a one-off may cost as much as an entire set. So it's just like mm-hmm. this jigsaw puzzle. And of course there are the elusive ones you can't get your hands on, which <laughs> got my alert really? set up. So hopefully they'll <laughs> pop into my feed. The eBay is where you're, where you get. Yeah. Get usually okay. eBay, but there are other um, vendors out there who have their own storefronts. Um, but I just, I just like <laughs> buying them off eBay. So where, where are you storing these? Because you live in New York. 
So you're you're not in some rambling um, ranch. I have two. I have two um, storage units an hour north of the city. One of which is brimming with, and also since I've been in the magazine business for 20 years, I have a copy of everything I've ever worked on. And after 20 years, it kind of piles up and I don't keep any of them in the house. So everything is just sort of up there. Okay, wait, so do you just take like a lawn chair? Are they neatly organized? Base, sit down and breathe They sort of come in and out. A few come in, a few go out. Depends on the season or what I'm interested in. That's funny. Is it? Are there bookshelves? Like, is it organized? Are they in boxes? What's happening? Um, it's they're shelving and in boxes, and the boxes are labeled pretty well. Um, and, and the beautiful thing is the reason I, you know, everybody thinks everything is online now, and a lot of those beautiful images from the magazines I might are not online. I mean, they are only they That's only exist in that format. And magazines didn't go back and like digitize all their archives for the public you know that'd be cost prohibitive right well i have to warn you it can it can easily become a dangerous hobby especially in this if you're in the vintage fashion magazine that, that's also um, i that's take it you i had taken you aren't a marie kondo fan <laughs> um, no i like i like my stuff <laughs> Well, I want to talk about Christopher Spitzmiller's book because it's a book that I have had my eye on for a long time. And so tell us about it. I'm so fascinated by the idea of of writing, I guess, kind of someone else's book. It, the interesting thing about that was, first of all, it was an amazing, fun collaboration. And I was thrilled that he asked me to help um, put his thoughts on paper. And I have done this sort of thing before. And when you start a writing project with someone or any sort of long-term project, and this was long-term, the book was, I think, two and a half years in the making. And I was involved for the last year, year and a half, because he photographed it over the course of a year. But before we got started, you know, he came to me for my background and my expertise, but I was also intrigued by the fact that I would, I knew I would learn something from him. You know, I've written, you know, flower book, entertaining book, whatever. So that's in my wheelhouse. But because he's at this beautiful farm and is creating these amazing tablescapes and these amazing gardens that he adds to year after year, I just knew that, you know, I don't want to be someone simply there with a tape recorder. And I want to be able to, you know, the words are his, but, you know, my role was, he would tell me something and I would just keep pressing. Like, I want to know more. I want to know more. Just tell me more. And so that's how we ended up with the finished manuscript. And I was so proud by the time the book was done, I could identify chicken eggs by their color. So that was, <laughs> so that was, um, I was quite proud of that. The, the dahlias still elude me though. They're like, I think he has like 20 or 30 different um, varieties of dahlias. And that's, that's too much for me to kind of, Keep in, the, keep in my mind. You don't know all the scientific names of those. <laughs> exactly. But um, no, it was great. And I think people have really responded to the book. And again, it was great to be a part of it. No, it is interesting, though, whenever you are doing a project like that, whether you're a co-collaborator with your name on the book or you're collaborating as a ghostwriter, because you are kind of wearing multiple hats and um, trying to get into someone's um, head to 
figure out what they're thinking and, you know, how can you help them take it to the next level? Will you just quickly give everyone, if they aren't familiar with Christopher Spitzmiller, like a little yeah, summary? Christopher um, is a well-known ceramicist. He has a beautiful collection of handmade lamps and other decorative accessories. They're distributed through showrooms across the country and also on his website. And they have the most beautiful glazes you can imagine. And um, he has this farm about an hour and a half north of New York City in Millbrook, New York, which he's owned, I think, the last 15 years. I should know that, right? Um, and it was really run down when he bought it. It was a working farm, but kind of down on its luck a little bit. And over the last 15 years, he's painstakingly renovated it and added to it and has sort of, in the last few years, cataloged that progress on Instagram. So he's had such a, um, people are just so inquisitive and um, inspired by what he's been posting over the last few years on Instagram. And um, that's how the book came about. And at first, when I, the idea was broached, I thought, well, is this going to be a book on the lamps? Like I was trying to figure out, you know, and the lamps barely appear. So it's fun that he's been able to um, marry his two worlds. Yeah. It's been on my reading list, so I'm going to have to pick it up now for sure. That's the that's Christopher um, lamp behind my shoulder. I noticed it earlier. Even, even though it's very tiny, I can... It's very pretty. So, uh, growing, you know, having been born in the South, working on Southern magazines, and now working on, um, you know, a New England-based magazine, are there different sensibilities there that you think appeal to people, or that you're trying to put forward? What's interesting to me is that yes, there are differences, but there are also great similarities, and one of those is a, a real celebration of great architecture, you know, and at Atlanta and across the South, people have such a passion for their homes and this idea of indoor-outdoor living. And then also in the Northeast, you've got a lot of beautiful new construction, um, obviously a lot of beautiful historic houses, but so much of the new construction feels of today, but they honor that New England vernacular, right? You've got these beautiful shingle-style houses, whether you're on the Cape or the islands and while they don't feel like they're from the 18th century or 19th century they feel of today it's just this idea of new england and its legacy comes through in a fresh and modern way um and it's sort of like you know they honor the past but they're not held back by whatever formula i mean it's it's beautiful design for today and in the south of course which I think is something that's expanded in the last you know, 15 years, the connection between indoor-outdoor living. It's sort of like this idea of California indoor-outdoor living has, I think, spread across the South. I just don't think years ago we used to make the most of our outdoor spaces like we do now. Um, and, of course, the things that let you do that, like outdoor heaters and things that used to be very utilitarian are beautiful now. You know, and outdoor fabrics used to be like would scratch your skin, and now they're as nice as any indoor velvet. So I think those are two um, similarities and differences. 
Do you think that um, any of the camps are more traditional than others or embrace, um, you know, contemporary more? Funny enough, I would say New England does. And, and when I say that, I'm thinking specifically about Boston, the immediate metro area, and even the suburbs. There is a lot of contemporary design um, and also contemporary design within a traditional box or a traditional envelope. And while I think the design in the South is still more traditional, um, that sort of tradition that I see today is certainly so much lighter and fresher and more edited than it used to be like 20 years ago. You know, you don't see the heavy curtains like you used to, or, you know, just certain things that used to be commonplace. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a lighter palette. Um, there's a freshness to it and it's pretty. It's usually really pretty. And, you know, people in the South, one thing about both New England and the South, and maybe this is across the country, but there is a passion still for blue and white. And you've got all those amazing coastal communities in New England. And of course, in the South, everybody loves blue and white. But every time I think I've seen my last blue and white, like how many times can you reimagine it? I'm always surprised someone has put another twist on blue and white, which makes it fun. Yeah. I don't know. I'm ready for some I'm ready for some new colors. <laughs> you are, Caroline. Well, it's funny because we were just planning um, Ballard's holiday um, photography just last week. Carolyn and I were involved with that project. And we were reviewing, while we were doing that, we were reviewing prior year's sales of what worked for holiday. And, and this is specifically Christmas decor. And it was the blue and white collections were the really? top mm-hmm, holiday decor collections, even over, you know, a traditional red, you know, kind of scheme. It's interesting. That's mm-hmm. fascinating. Yeah. yeah. I was shocked. I mean, I love blue, but like, there's so many what, great colors. White? Oh, they're so <laughs> Just together, they're the worst. No, I like them, but you know what? It doesn't feel safe. Maybe it feels classic. Maybe it reminds you of something nostalgic. Maybe that's why people love it. It's safe. Oh. Well, I think going back to your question earlier about what editors should do is, you know, you're always, whether if it's something like blue and white, you want to see a twist on it because how many blue and white interiors can you publish in a year, right? And if you're going to publish one, it needs to be really special. But then you're always looking for a micro trend, really. And looking back at, but sometimes things just aren't out there or they're difficult to find. I was looking back at um, one of the books I wrote while I was at Veranda. and. I don't think the entire time I worked there, and I'm not even sure with the previous editor, we had ever published a red room. I think there was one. I take that back. I, I do remember one. And I was thinking, you know, in the 90s, you used to see like burgundy rooms and kind of tomato red rooms. And and you don't see that much anymore. And, I'm, and so like, I was like, where are all the red rooms? Wouldn't it be great to see someone, you know, do a red room in a very updated new way um 
Yeah, you're right. Red is, has not been in the driver's seat for a while. No, and there are so many designers who do it so well, like Alessandra Branca does it. I think that was one of the red rooms um, that we had published. But um, Miles, just... Miles loves red. Yeah, he does. Miles red. Miles red. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was curious. You know, when you obviously we, we we kind of touched on a little bit, but when you, I imagine lots of designers are sending you their work, you know, to, to be featured. What is the difference in a piece of work? or a you know a portfolio that really sets it apart and makes it to where you you just have to feature it you got a pile of beautiful rooms well ideally it's something you've never seen before or it's got a twist what is the twist you know there are so many beautiful tasteful rooms in the world i mean tasteful to the point of you know could be boring but when you're editing a magazine and you have a finite number of pages each issue, which, you know, ebbs and flows a little bit. You can't show everything. So whatever lands in the pages has to be really, really special and hopefully give someone an idea of, oh, I've never thought of that that way. Um, and sometimes it's sort of a regular pretty room and the art's amazing or it's a very lovely, tasteful room, but it has like quirky throw pillows that you would never think about. And it's always like, what is like the one or two little things that um, can give something, give people an idea that they never thought of before. And also, one of the things that I've, I think I've always tried to do is sometimes, you know, houses would come or still come across my desk. And you think, oh gosh, this is really beautiful, but this one room is amazing. And you go back to the designer or architect and you're like, can we just do a story on this one room? Like, no offense to the rest of the house, but this I can like celebrate and do a, you know, blow it out and do something really special on it. Because um, you don't want those special spaces, even though they're associated with bigger projects, to get away from you. Um, if it is something really special and unique. Now, why would the designer say no to that? Because they want the whole entire project published? Um, yes and no. There, there are a lot of factors, but that would be, um, that's probably the main one. Um, and also, you, you know, I do it in a way not to like, and usually it's like, you don't want it to come across as, right. oh, I hate the rest of the house, but I like this one room. And most of the time it is like, it's really, it's all good or all really great, but this is spectacular. How can we feature that? Um, but more yeah, like often than said, not, people, yeah, people don't want to, if they can get a whole house published, yeah. why wouldn't you? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like you said, though, it's not, you know, it's not the web. So you, you do have a limited number of spaces and yeah, I'm sure every designer is sending you like dozens of photos details and over you know over views and all are there that. any secrets to getting published well you know i would say the design community has gotten exponentially um more savvy in the submissions process and i think that's because you know at almost every um designer market week at all the showrooms around the country mm. four or five times a year, there's always a panel on mm. how to get published. 
And I think people have finally started yeah. <laughs> taking notes on. Yeah, you can't you can't just submit a photograph of the side table next to the sofa showing a set of coasters and a lamp. Like we need to see the entire room with the lights off. Um, and another part of that is you've got um, technology on your side again. I mean, the iPhone, I hate to say it's hard to go wrong with an iPhone or a smartphone and taking photographs of interiors, but you can get really decent scouting shots if you, um, if you try a little. And of course, 10 years ago, that was really impossible. Um, with the low light setting, the phone just would not capture that. And the other thing about getting published is, and I think this came up a lot more during COVID, and especially I think with some of the national magazines in particular, is, you know, people weren't going out and producing photo shoots like they were, right? And for design, and I've always told designers to do this, to catalog your work, to record your work, get photography of it, whether or not you do anything with it or not. Even if you don't put it on your website or your portfolio, just get it to have it as a record. And so many designers and architects now are hiring the same photographers and stylists that the magazines are to, for their own portfolio work. Um, and when you do that, you know, those people know what the mag various magazines like. You know, they're not going to like the orchids on the coffee table. You need to switch it out for this type of plant, or they're not going to want this in the kitchen. You need to do this, which increases their chances of getting published. And more often than not, if you've hired those professionals, there's a good chance the magazine will just pick up the photography and pay the photographer and not have to go back and reshoot. Yeah. Saves time, saves money. The win win. Yeah, exactly. But I do think that's got, if you go that path, you really need to incorporate a stylist into that. Um, because I do think that makes all the difference in knowing the nuances of what the magazines are going to like. It really is like a team effort. And it's a very specific skill set, you know, um, styling for photography versus styling a, or designing a room. Totally different. Well, yeah. And all the best stylists know how to see a room through the camera. And mm -hmm. I think for a lot of designers, it's still like, wanting to show the whole thing, but stylists and great photographers know how to break it down to show, you don't have to show everything, but you have to show enough. You can't do, again, a room full of, all full of vignettes if you don't have a story. Right. I was curious, since you are an author, what are your favorite design books, your must read list? Oh my gosh. You That's really, really hard. Um, <laughs> Everything by me. <laughs> okay, right, right. Everything you've written, and then what else? <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. That's really hard. That's tricky, Caroline. Or just what about recently? How's that? Is that easier? No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Sorry for the radio silence here. That's like the hardest question anyone has ever asked me, I think. We are a hard-hitting um, show. Okay. <laughs> We are. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are just so many. I mean, so many new books that I like, so many great designers whose work I admire, um, who've been doing their own coffee table books, which is great to have as a keepsake. Um, but I can't think of one 
While you're thinking, can I ask you something else about that? How do you stay up to date on the latest books that are coming out and who's doing what? Because maybe if, even if you can't tell us an idea, our readers can be like, oh, I could stay up to date that way. Yeah, well, if you're doing an interior, if you're an interior designer or architect and you're producing your own book or with a team or a group of collaborators, most of those books are produced by a handful of publishers. And Rizzoli does beautiful coffee table books. Um, Von Dome does beautiful coffee table interior design books. Gibbs Smith does beautiful design books. Um, and there's also, um, there are others. I'm sure I'm leaving some people off, but it's not, it's not a huge mm-hmm. list of um, publishers who are creating these books. And so if you sort of follow their websites or social media handles, you get a good sense of what's coming out. And most of the books come out in March or April or September and October, um, which is great for spring or for holiday. So everything is sort of timed in those two seasons. Yeah. I know I'm, I don't know for sure about Von Dome and Gibbs Smith, but I do know that Rizzoli has a whole list of on their website, always future, you know, recently published, coming this year. So that's an easy way because I, I follow that. Um, that's smart. That's smart. Because it never occurred to me. I'm always just like, oh, read a, I usually find out about them when I'm reading magazines. <laughs> <laughs> Our favorite reads mm-hmm. or whatever. And they're like, oh, that's yeah. Well, we are, magazines are lucky in that we often get the first look. So we usually, to time it with the publication of a book. So we often do get sneak peeks. So I have to say that's sort of how I keep up to. Let's see. Is it time to answer our decorating dilemma? Or do you have any other burning questions, Karen? No, I think we should because we're we only about 10 minutes. All right. So let's do a dilemma. Yes, let's do it. Our dilemma is from Christine. Christine says, hi, ladies and Clinton. <laughs> I've been listening to your podcast since it first debuted, and I love it. Have always lived in the North. Oh, having always lived in the North, I enjoyed learning styling and gardening approaches from a Southern perspective. I'm writing because I've struggled decorating a built-in cabinet slash buffet wall in my dining room. I live in a hundred-year-old craftsman-style home. I've attached some pics of the space I'm struggling with. As you can see, I do like plants, and I use the cabinets for storing my entertaining glasses and dishes. I have liquor in a Ballard tray, and I like the idea of using the buffet as a bar, but I'm struggling uh, with how to pull that off. Any suggestions? Welcome. Thanks for a fun show. I feel like I'm connecting with friends when I'm listening. That's that's very sweet. sweet. Thank you. So she does have this in her dining room uh, along one of the walls. She has uh, three windows, and below those windows are built-ins. And the, the, the largest window is in the center. It's wider, probably twice as wide as the other two windows. So there are shorter built-ins on the ends under those uh, more narrow windows. And then there's sort of a, a slightly lower built-in that has drawers. And she wants to style that lower built-in area as a bar. Aha. How should she do that? Well, she's very lucky that she's got some great architecture. I mean, the craftsman detailing is really amazing. Um, one of the things that could, she didn't ask for this advice, but I'm going to give it anyway. <laughs> is You're the pro. We want to hear it. 
I think just to draw a little more attention to it is possibly changing out the hardware on those drawers because um, it looks like it's painted over. It, I don't think it's original. If it is, she may want to keep it, but um, or maybe she could see if there's brass underneath or you know, oil rubbed bronze or something. I think it would just kind of make it um, feel a little more permanent. Um, also, I like her bar setup with her the liquor arranged in the tray. I think I would maybe just get a larger tray, larger square tray to kind of anchor and center it on that counter because it just sort of seems to be floating a little bit there to the right and just, you know, play it up and put it right in the middle. And one of the other things I love is that she's got that kind of mirrored for better, for lack of a better term, I'll call it a mirrored backsplash. And I could see her putting some like votive candles there or some kind of low pillar candles to have some light reflecting at night. Great idea. And then on those two taller glass front cabinets, um, I like where she's headed with the plants. I would just put two overscale planters there and fill them with like English ivy or some other sort of fern or greenery just to sort of um, anchor the space a little more because those cabinets have a real heft to them. And I think those plants are just getting, they're just too small for the space. And I think like if she did two simple planters or two urns, it would, it, it would feel even more architectural. Mm -hmm. So instead of three smaller plants, get two large ones and more of a statement moment. On top exactly. And if she's okay. really ambitious, another piece of advice she didn't ask for, um, but if she has a really nice, if she loves her glassware and what's in the glass front cabinets, maybe she puts, you know, some of those new, new-ish, you know, stick on battery operated lights just so she could kind of illuminate the inside of the um, cabinets. That's a great idea. And I think it goes well with that candle idea just to get some glow over there when you're in there in the evening. I love that. I was thinking some of, um, we have these great new LED lamps and they're sort of um, recharging. They're recha they're yeah, they're rechargeable because I'm assuming you don't have plugs over here, um, but they're just very thin. And then they have just kind of a metal, um, shade on them. And the reason I especially like the metal shade is because it'll cast all that light down onto your glassware. So um, that's kind of what I, I was own thinking. one of those and it's called, I think, Devon or something. And it's brass. So it's a brass shade and a very bra uh, very thin, like Caroline's saying, brass um, stick and base. So elegant looking and it doesn't take up a lot of footprint. Um, and it's on a, it has a little dimmer and it lasts so long when you charge it. I put them on my bar. I have two on my bar in the basement. And yeah, that might be a really nice addition. Like that. Idea. And I love those those battery operated lights. I mean, years ago, you know, you would have one like in a closet somewhere, linen closet, and they, they wouldn't last like two months. And now they last forever, which yeah. is so Thanks great. To LED. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, that idea of sticking those in the cabinet really is so smart because it's just going to bring that to life. Mm -hmm. Well, those are like a little hockey puck. The hockey pucks. Yeah. yeah. Not the lamp. Not the lamp. <laughs> <laughs> You're not putting the lamp in the cabinet. No. But also the LED light quality now is so good. Whereas, mm -hmm. again, it used to be terrifying, that blue glow. And that now blue. it's... <laughs> We've always now it's, Yeah. And now well, it's yeah, so, so be careful when you're getting your hockey puck that you get one that's a warm uh, Kelvin. So 2,700 Kelvin 
mm-hmm. um, or lower. Usually 27 is good. And that's going to give you that pretty kind of buttery glow in your dining room. Yeah. But she does I, have a really pretty dining room. And I love yeah. that idea of changing the hardware because it's going to make that feel like a little jewel box over there. Um, right. Especially if it, you know, it's like mm-hmm. brass and shiny or, you know, that goes with the barware or something like that. I love that. Mm-hmm. The other thing I was thinking too is what about like a little um, like easel? We have this acrylic easel that I am obsessed with. I tell everyone to get it because I just love it so much. It's just, it looks like a little, I mean, well, it can be a cookbook stand. It's just a little acrylic easel, but I have like a really ornate framed gold painting in it. You could put a little abstract painting in it. It's only eight by 10, you know, and you could just kind of Are you put sitting it up down there with to the booze little- or up, up top on one of the high... Probably next to the booze. I mean, realistically, you could just lean something. You don't need the easel, but I do like the easel. It's a nice little <laughs> extra layer. But but yeah, like it's just for some color. But you you kind of throw us a softball, Christine. So thanks for that. We like it's a great little space related. It's <laughs> always fun to answer. <laughs> Definitely. And she has, and we know she has great taste because she has coffee table books by I'm sure two of our favorites, Tom Shearer and Alexa oh Hampton. That's exactly. So, <laughs> she has good inspiration. That Tom Shear's books are are some of my faves. So, all right, that was easy. Yeah, that was easy. That was a good one. Thank you for your help. Yes, Clinton. Thank can you. you tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, see your book? I mean, see books. your work and buy your books. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So, more often than not, I'm on Instagram at Mr. Mr. Or you can go to my website, clintonsmithstudio.com, and you can follow me through my work contributing to New England Home Magazine and Atlanta Homes and Lifestyles. Well, we're big fans. Thanks for joining yes. us. Thank oh, you my so gosh. Much. Thank you. This has been a real treat. All right. That's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcastballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time. Happy Happy decorating. decorating.